Right, hello and welcome to the next in our series of the Beyond Autism podcasts around increasing independence. Um, in the room today, we, we're lucky enough to have Tom Bailey, our, our Head of Therapies and the Speech and Language Therapist. Hi, Tom. Hi, Annie. And we also have Amy Saracen, an ABA Supervisor at Beyond Autism. Hi there. Um, uh, my name's Andy Swartford. I'm a BCBA that works alongside Beyond Autism as well, so um, I'll be your host for today. So uh, today we're talking about, uh, again, increasing independence for, for people with autism through the use of visual schedules. The reason we're lucky enough to have Tom here, or invited Tom today, is because we wanted to kind of a, a set an additional context in terms of multidisciplinary working. And I'll just ask you now, Tom, like, from a speech and language therapist perspective, why or how are visual schedules so important in a role of increasing independence? So for young people with autism, the um, increased support of visuals is, is hugely important. I think namely really to um, enhance their independence. Um, having that schedule in front of them, that visual schedule in front of them is, is hugely beneficial. Um, it really supports them to become very independent in lots of tasks um, across the day. Um, and this extends into kind of community aspects of their learning as well. Um, so literally, if you think about your day and how that's you know broken up, you have a, a schedule for what you're doing throughout your day. So coming into school, getting ready for the day, knowing what lessons you're doing, um, it's hugely important. Um, I think as well, um, it's very important then to um, have something that's concrete rather sure. than just a verbal instruction. Um, so we are enhancing that verbal instruction through the use of visuals. Um, we're having something concrete. So by that, I mean that if you say something, you've said it and that's gone. If you have a visual, then it remains and you can refer back to it. So, you know, what we're really talking about there is this, a sort of sense of stimulus equivalence as well. So from a, from a language point of view, teaching that meaning or reinforcing the meaning behind a symbol is that this sort of sense of um, reflexivity that might lead to transitivity in regards to understanding that something that physically matches in the environment is now changing to, you now have a symbol that means the thing that you learned that you matched in the first place. So it's very interesting in terms of that kind of process of learning or, or, or operant conditioning. Okay, thanks Tom. So Amy, you kind of took a lead on this uh, piece of work for, for the young lady that we're going to talk about today. Can you give us some idea of why this was so sort of socially significant, you know, the, that applied aspect for, for our young lady as to why or how the use of visual schedules was going to be the, the, the thing that you chose, the kind of stimulus that you, you felt would support her from an in, uh, independence point of view? Yeah, absolutely, and thanks for the question. Uh, so our our young lady, she's uh, she was sixteen uh, years old, and she was in a, a sixth form class. So really, we wanted to prepare her for adulthood. And um, at this time, a little bit about her: she sixteen years old, couldn't uh, quite read at this point, but definitely was really a visual learner. So when she'd see pictures, and you're able to teach that, she worked really well, and that was one of her strengths. So we really wanted to increase her independence around the school day and have her have choices of what she was doing in the day. Um, so that's why visual schedule was really important. By having the written words and a picture, she was able to refer back to the visual schedule, um, see what was going on, look at it, read it. She saw there was two sections to the visual schedule, the activity and the location she had to go to. So 
she would read the activity and look at the picture for the location and then she would go to that location independently so um, when we uh, really were able to tap into her strengths we decided to go with a, a visual schedule oh very good so you, despite the fact that her reading wasn't strong uh, she had you know learned and had lots of skills reinforced over time that you felt needed an additional I suppose context really of, of giving her that freedom or, or starting to teach that autonomy that then she could start to apply those skills based on essentially stimulus in the environment that allowed her to transition from place to place. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so from a little bit more depth now, so what were you aiming to achieve through this case study or through this period of time of teaching uh, and then in a moment, I think we'll then start to bring in the idea around which research inspired you. So what were you trying to achieve? What, you know, what was the, the purpose, if you like? Yeah, our philosophy really is just enough support. And we want to increase her independence whilst fading the adult support, which we knew um, was a feasible target. Um, ultimately, we want to, like I said, prepare for her adulthood. We want her to become more independent out in the community. Uh, she attends work experience. And by providing her with a visual schedule, this can be journalized across multiple settings. So uh, although it was uh, a timetable for her full day, this could also be transferred to multiple other skills, such as her cooking skills. So she used a visual schedule for cooking. And by really using the visual schedule, um, we were able to see that prompt dependency was being reduced and she was really increasing uh, moving around the school more freely. Great. And Tom, from your experience, have you found that the, an effectively taught visual schedule is something that then can be um, a point of reference or frame of reference for a learner across multiple, multiple uh, settings? So from a cusp point of view, like... Opening doors, opening new reinforces new experiences. Have you found that it's easily generalizable, or absolutely? I think when the learner understands that that schedule is is theirs, and they've got the understanding of, of what's going on for them throughout the day, it can absolutely be generalized across a number of different um, activities um, and across a number of different settings. Excellent. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> Multidisciplinary working is a winner. Mm-hmm. I think another uh, topic just to highlight is that visual schedules and these visual supports, they're really easy to make They're not, and they're really cost-effective, so this doesn't consume a loads amount of time to create them and they're easily uh, maintainable. Right, and then you're starting to hit, you know, not just social significance for the, for the, for the individual, you're now starting to think about um, external validity for that person and actually... You know, we spend a lot of time with our learners, but you know that then means that if it's effective and simple, mm-hmm. and cost effective, we start thinking two or three years from now when we're moving. You know, this young lady is going to be, an, uh, you know, a more and more independent adult, certainly out of the schooling system. Mm-hmm. And so, if that really works for her, there's lots of ways we can make that more applied through I don't know the use of small kind of phone type devices that enable her to kind of reference things walking down the street and so on. Yeah, there's lots of apps available, absolutely, that you can use. And I think a very simple way of doing that, again, is just taking photos and using the photo app on your phone just to flick through from one activity to another. Right. If you're talking about now and next and just having two parts to that visual schedule, you can simply say, yep, yeah, now we're at the park, next we're going to go home. Great. Yeah, And then the implications for that and its application through work or even just getting up in the morning, you know, as far-reaching as you want them to be. Okay, so... 
our series on building independence and so forth is we're looking to be inspired by research obviously we're working in the field of behavior analysis it's a it's a central store of what we do um the the references that, you, that you've put through and will, will, will be on the website you've got the um detmer simpson miles et al from 2000 the use of visual supports to facilitate transitions of students with autism and that's from the focus on autism other, other developmental disabilities you also found a um it was like a dissertation actually from havlick in 2015 or, or practical guide for families anyway it was something you found online and then Hume, Lofton and Lance in 2009, Increasing Independence in Autism Spectrum Disorders. And again, that's from the Journal of Autism and Developmental Disorders. Of those bits of research, what were the parts within those that really kind of inspired you, were the real hook for you in terms of how you then decided to, to plan for the initial stages of your support intervention for this young girl? Yeah, so there's really two, the two main ones I would li- really like to talk about and what's really inspired me is Detmer 2000 and Hume 2009. So um, when coming up with the idea of visual schedule, they really um, support them. They had really successful um, outcomes uh, and results. Uh, some of the some of them and uh, Detmer 2000, really something I'd like to highlight about that is they had a uh, they spoke about Temple Grandin. Um, oh, yeah. And um, 1995, she said, people with autism are visual thinkers and practitioners should avoid relying solely on auditory um, uh, instruction. So I thought that was really lovely because Temple Grandin is a huge influence with autism. And um, so it just made me really think about, you know, from someone else's perspective with autism, where should we be thinking as practitioners and as BCBAs? Um, another thing is that they just suggested that um, visual supports help organize, you know, the individual's um, environments and helps with sequencing. And I just seemed there was loads of benefits. Um, there's more such as, you know, it, uh, visual schedules help with maintaining attention, uh, understanding spoken language. It helps, again, with a sequence of events, what's happening, uh, as Tom was saying, the now and next. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Um, something that we don't always talk about, but visual schedules also help with um, social interaction. And uh, as we mentioned before, the, you know, basic um, independent living skills and activities daily living, such as cooking skills. So um, based on that research there, uh, it just helped me influence where I was going with this case study. As for human 2009, it really suggests that um, the interventions, they help increase the independence for those. Um, and it really emphasizes on the shift from the stimulus control, so it being adult-led, to an alternative stimulus. And what I mean by that is the alternative stimulus, such as the visual support, can it provides the cues, it provides expectations, and therefore it reduces the adult prompting. Well, the SD shifts, right, to, the, to a different stimulus. Which exactly. Is- it's really interesting. And that's what we want. And that's, we want to um, make sure that um, our own behavior is being changed by, we need to think about where, how much prompting are we providing, how much guidance, and we need to reduce that. So uh, the visual schedules is simple. We, um, everyday lives, you know, we have our diaries, we follow our, you know, our to-do list. So it's very, um, it's used in every, everyone uses them. And so it's just about how can we use them for our learners and how, how can we adapt it for them? 
that point you made there about prompting makes me think of a of a colleague, um, a guy called Dr. Murrow Winston, who we were having a conversation the other day about prompts, and he was saying I, he was saying that he could be an astronaut with prompts. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> tell me what to do every single time. I could fly a rocket, yeah. and it's like you know what, what is prompting? How big a role does it play and how you really need to think about how those things are faded and, and an ideal way to do that is to kind of shift that control if you like from you know Tom or yourself or me saying to a learner hey don't forget to do this at this time to a visual that behind that visual there's so many kind of operant relationships that are uh, represented by that one symbol so you can take away all that need for language and it reminded me uh, earlier on when you were talking about Temple Grandin and, and this idea around being inspired by people that are able to explain their experiences. And of course, it's, you know, their personal experiences, but it's really interesting to me to consider that, and especially what, also what Tom was saying around, you know, you have permanence then. There's a, there's a piece, there's, there's, a, there's a thing in the environment that, that signals reinforcements available, but that one picture, provided somebody's got enough language to understand what that means yeah. and can diverge and converge on the kind of multiple controlled aspects of language with enough training I suppose to understand what that thing means you just open so many other opportunities it's a very different way of processing that as well from a language perspective because obviously you've got a verbal instruction then you have to you know that that, as I said at the start it comes and it goes and you have to kind of listen to that process that in the brain but actually remaining and looking at something that's visual you can process at your own speed as well. Mm. So that's a really supportive way for our learners particularly. It can definitely reduce some of their anxiety. Um, and like you were saying, you can definitely fade that prompt in a much better way than just from verbal prompts, having mm. visuals there. Yeah, because a verbal prompt, as we know from yeah. research, is one of the mm. hardest prompts to fade. Because yeah. how do, you know, where's the fade there? It's yeah. either there or it's not. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the time we find that people will repeat that verbal instruction so you know like go and get your coat they've not responded go and get your coat you know and repetition just means it's more language that you're processing and actually is slower processing right and then from a behavioral point of view when when that reinforcement comes when that prompt comes you're now starting to get into this realm of well what's being reinforced now like is it the fact that somebody's asked me to do something five times and then they prompt me so you know when they operate outside the kind of more typical four-term contingency like that they drop their prompt in after repeating themselves five times and then the learner you know would, wouldn't be unreasonable based on the kind of the, the determinism of behavior to sort of say well actually that learner is now simply learning that I don't respond for five occasions then someone's going to help me do it or prompt me and so effectively, you're dropping your reinforcer in after five representations of the same stimulus, where of course with a, with a visual, it's one, it's one thing, it evokes a response, yeah. or elicits a response. Okay. And exactly. And like I said, with this particular learner, in my case study, they, the prompt dependency um, you know, was established, and by providing the visual schedule, meant we as the supporters were able to feed our prompts, and it... She was just a lot more independent, so which was great. And just an, another um, point I want to make, Tom, from what you said, it can um, visual schedules can reduce the anxiety. Um, in fact, Detmer 2000, in their case study, they said that um, 
one of their learners in it, uh, one of the participants, uh, they were talking about using visual schedules for transition, so going from one location to the next. And one of their participants, it took them um, 6.2 minutes to transition from one location to the next, and that's not including all the different, um, the uh, all the count, all the precise. Yeah, <laughs> six point two minutes they calculated, and um, they didn't say how many physical prompts were included in that um, uh, during during that time. But then it reduced to um, once they started introducing the the visual schedule, one point eight minutes. So it went from six point two minutes to transition from one location to the next to one point eight with a lot less uh, physical prompts in there as well. The same distance of transition, like the same place to place. Yeah, and they're saying they're able to remove the physical prompts. Uh, There are just some vocals in there. Goodness. So, um, you know, visual (coughs) schedules help in so many ways. Like Mm. you said, maybe it's the now and the next that really help them. So maybe they were experiencing the, I mean, there's multiple variables there, but, you know, maybe a hypothesis could be that, you know, they were feeling anxious to going from one location to the next, but by just introducing, okay, look, this is what we're going to be doing next, um, really helped with that. Yeah. Um, and in fact, during this case study, it was really interesting um, that um, with two of the, so they had two participants, one of the participants, when they had, um, they did an ABAB experimental design. So um, when they went back to baseline, so removed, so they uh, did their baseline, they introduced the visual schedule, so they went back to the, um, the second A part of it, so they went back to baseline, removing the visual schedule. Um, in fact, they were saying that the participant was asking for the visual schedule. They wanted to see where they were going. And in fact, they had seen uncharacteristic behaviors because of it. So I think there was scratching that was involved. So they saw some challenging behavior when they went back to the baseline and um, because they wanted their visual book. So. Well, that, and then that kind of brings us into a whole other realm, doesn't it? <laughs> if something's effective... And this is where I think sometimes that the nature or, the, or being super clear on whether we're being experimental or being applied. Because, you know, from an ethical point of view, if something works and you see this massive, you know, what is that, a, a, almost like a fivefold increase in kind of um, fluency in terms of a, of a transition with the use of a visual schedule. Yeah. Someone's got to ask that question, like, why, why would you want to take that away to see what the effect... I mean, it almost feels a bit of a sketchy place to be. Like, it works really well, but let's just test that that was the, that was the yeah. independent variable that affected the, the dependent variable and, it, and just really being in that kind of space. I'm not sure that necessarily I can see why they do it for a paper. Yes. But, but certainly it's... from a practice point of view, if something's as effective as that, why would you even take it away? I mean, I, know, I get the scientific components of that but in any case it's just one of those ethical questions okay so you guys are listening to the podcast here uh, from beyond autism one of the ways we're going to test to see whether or not you've actually listened to this is to have you kind of fill out some keywords so our first keyword is going to come from the auspices of our head of therapies and a speech and language therapy perspective what is your profound keyword tom Piano. Okay, very good. So our first keyword is piano. All right, Amy. So thank you so much for that that kind of executive summary, the pieces that went into the research and how that inspired and hooked you. Take us through kind of the introduction of, of, of your case study and a little bit more detail now around 
where this young lady came from, her strengths, her areas for development, the things that really kind of will now deepen this picture for us around why the visual schedule is so important. Yeah, so um, our, again, our young, uh, our young lady, she was in a sixth form and we were really getting her ready, preparing for the adulthood. She really um, enjoys attending school. She loves her routines. She's, uh, she loves dancing. She loves her doing her nails. She, um, she's attending several vocational trades. Um, and we were noticing that we just wanted to just help increase her independence, just um, provide just a bit more uh, support for her to, to, to be independent. So um, when we were th- thinking about how can we increase her, you know, decrease prompt dependency, increase independence, we thought about creating this, the visual schedule. I so, suppose in that scenario, what you're, what you're saying is, is that allowing her to, or giving her the tools, should I say, not allowing her, but giving her the tools to be able to contact reinforcement without the need for adult support. Exactly. And it was, uh, again, when she when she was looking at her schedule and she went to the right location, that in itself was its reinforcement. Um, right. Because she was happy that she, she got, the, um, got the activity and the location right. So... Um, she and she is like that when upon like task completions, she's generally uh, it's like that at work experience. So um, her you know rate of reinforcement or her ratio of reinforcement at her school setting was we noticed that it was completely different versus at the um, her work experience. So at work experience, it she would be working. There was some on task off task behavior um, during the 40 minute period, maybe once or twice, but that's generally what happened with us anyways. We might look at our, our peer, we might um, just, you know, have a little couple seconds for ourselves, but um, 40 minutes she would be uh, working and then itself being finished the whole work experience that was we realized was reinforcing in itself. Um, so I knew that this visual schedule could, that my hypothesis would was that it could work. And, um, and in the end, although my within my case study for several, there might be variable, um, multiple reasons why the uh, the data was variable, um, but ultimately was it was quite successful. Um, it uh, increased her independence, and um, yeah, increased her independence, and she was able uh, to complete other things. So when she was when she completed her timetable, uh, we also transferred this to. Uh, completing a visual schedule to go to the gym. So she would look at her timetable, go to the, no, no, it was time to go to the gym, go to her trolley, grab her resources for um, her gym schedule. So she would then choose three um, gym machines that she would have to go on. And again, this, the visual schedule is really transferred and journalized to multiple other um, skills. So it was really, it was really great. So it sounds like she had uh, a lot, uh, there's a coining of phrases in kind of uh, education, like the, the breadth and balance of her curriculum, you know, the, her core curriculum around maths, English and so forth, the, the learning of those were kind of being you know, through multiple different environments. So you kind of, as you said, you had a work experience, you had school, you had the gym, you had the community and all, all these types of scenarios where she was getting to use the skills that she'd learned in school through teaching in the classroom or, or kind of more vocational things and what, you, what you've really done there is, is think okay she can do all this stuff but she still now needs 
or she still needed somebody next to her to be the, guy, the to be the person that's prompting to kind of point towards the next piece to do. And exactly, so on. guide her to the next activities. So we really wanted a people's voice in there as well. So she was um, because she wasn't participating at the time in in a visual schedule. It was really led by an adult. So in order to make choices for the future and and solidify that she is able to make choices, the visual schedule was in there. So all the um, the, the adult had to do was just make sure that you know the that the activities matched up with the location and um, and then just make sure if she did make an error just to kind of go back do a little um, error correction so if she did make an error um, what we would do was uh, we'd bring her back to location so we kind of reset it so we didn't want her to make a full error so she let's say she the activity was to it was maths in group teaching one and she uh, went to the library so we would go back to the area where we looked at the timetable error correct with a zero delay prompt we would say with a vocal okay it's um, okay so you have maths in group teaching one and then she go uh, maths group teaching one look at it point to it and then we'd make sure that she went to the right direction so okay so that was how you started to build the stimulus equivalence for the symbol exactly yes okay cool so we're now getting into the method so Take us through, you know, build on that. So, you know, from, from the point of view, this is how you started to build the learning around what the symbols meant. But what was your practical application then? So your method here um, talks about, it begins with talking about arriving at school and setting up a visual timetable. You know, expand on that for us. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so as we were saying where she's preparing for adulthood, she actually participated in making the actual timetable. So she would print, she would laminate, um, and she would make, she would have her own clipboard. So um, the tutor had a, a clipboard, she had her own clipboard, and she would set up her whole, her whole day. Um, so the timetable, what it was laminated, it had um, some Velcro on it. And so she would, when she was done, because she also was um, didn't quite have the um, the skill to read time, we just um, easily did a little, a little bit of manipulation there. So she would just, when she was done an activity, she would take off the Velcro, put it in the back uh, of her clipboard where there was a little zippy wallet. And um, that so that was for her, that signified, that was the SE, okay, now there's another activity. So when she knew that one activity was done, she's like, okay, um, you know, maths is finished. And then when she knew it was finished, she would simply take it off, then look, point to the next activity, and then continue on from there. So in there, I can just start hearing like the, the almost like basic verbal operands starting to ring through on that. It's like part man, part tax. Exactly. And And you know, going back to kind of the basics of, of why we might focus on language that benefits the speaker first, but then also you start with that mad attack transfer later. You can really start seeing that basic teaching really manifesting something as complex as that. And it actually yeah. sounds like the pre-mac principle in a lot of ways, like this thing's done, now I'm going on to the next thing, which is a pretty exactly. basic psychology um, kind of concept. So for, so through that then, it's, it's interesting, I'm, I'm just trying to link us back to the hooks in the research. I can hear it singing through around how somebody can be more independent with naturally occurring reinforces. Is that kind of what we were what you were talking about in was it the Hume article in two thousand and nine that talked about how that they had that reduction in, in transition times or was it the other one? It was uh, Detmer two thousand they were okay. saying with their two participants. Cool. So um from anything else you want to add in terms of the method? So, you, so you've gone through this idea of how she would take something off the, 
off the schedule, which then she would, would she tap then that it had finished and she would then put it away herself? Yeah, so she, when she's like, uh, she would say, finish, and then she would um, take it off her, her timetable, the activity that was finished, then put it in the on the back of her clipboard in a zippy wallet. So you could even say in the verbal operant, she, not only was she, there was like a receptive, there was the tact, but it essentially was also uh, matching non-identical because she was matching the activity, which is non-identical to also the, the place she had to go to. Because the pictures were, um, and the pictures and the, um, the mass, for example, although there was a picture on there, it was just a general picture of mass, and then she had to go then to that group. Oh, I see. So, okay. So here's a question you might not be expecting. It just occurred to me. So, di- so obviously within the context of, of the schools that, that we work in, there's a sense of assessment for and of learning. So you would, you know, we would use the VB map or the um, EFLS or something along those lines. Was there a point at which the assessments that you used demonstrated to you that she was ready for this? Or was it, you know, your, your practical application, the real life experience of what's important to this young lady that kind of stimulated this idea of the multidisciplinary team working towards a social significant target which bit came first for, for you guys in terms of the decision making? Yeah, I've actually I've known this uh, young lady since 2013 um, and I worked directly with her. Um, so based on the assessments that we have done, um, so the VB map is something that we used in the past, the ABLES, um, you is able to, we were able to identify her strengths and weaknesses. So definitely when you're... Um, uh, when we were looking at you know the the imitations the matching those were uh those were everything that was something she was quite was quite strong on her assessments so um it was based on observations uh based on her assessments so um we were we were looking at that and and then there from there that's where we were able to identify which skill would be appropriate so if she didn't have the prerequisite skills for reading that's why we put the words also with um, with a picture because at that time as well we were teaching her the ables q5 match word to pictures okay. so um, that's why we wanted her to be able to recognize the picture and also match the word to it as well so it's always there so we're just so, trying to tie everything <coughs> together so we may come to it later, but did you find then that you also had this additional piece, like you had this, you know, we had the, the picture and the word. Did you start, have you since then been able to transfer the control from pictures to words? No, but it'd be interesting though to eventually reduce the size of the picture and then eventually fade it out to see if then she would recognize it uh, because she's, we were also um, simultaneously teaching her um, community signs and when you ask her, oh, what does, what's this picture of? You know, whether, whether it was a female toilet or male toilet, she was able to identify that. So it would be interesting. Um, we didn't quite get there in terms of the timetable, but it would be interesting to test it in the okay. future. We maybe have jumped ahead a little there to the discussion, but that's okay. We can come back to it. Um, wow. Okay. Great. So, a bunch of skills that you that uh, this young lady had learned over time. This multidisciplinary approach of understanding that now this is really a, a language that's being developed. With you know maybe in inverted commas, but I, I guess 
you know, symbol understanding, picture understanding would, would certainly fit into the language component of... Definitely, of absolutely, yeah. Because you have to have that symbolic understanding, you have to then have the understanding of sequencing, so there's lots of skills there that she's learning. Right, and now you start thinking again, let's go back to Abel's or, or things like that, where you have these really overt aspects of sequencing and so forth. Were there, were there which I, I don't necessarily think appears as much in the VB map, but would you... Do you now see in a profile of assessment for this young lady like a, a stronger repertoire in sequencing or a stronger repertoire in matching? Or is this something, you know, which came first, I guess, is my, my question. We were working with sequencing with her at the time. Uh, it was, in fact, pictures of her doing um, various um, tasks that needed sequence. For example, uh, baking a cake, uh, brushing her teeth. However, we did not see a relation that even though she was doing the timetable, that uh, this increased her skill. In fact, it remained neutral. She did not, in fact, um, because that was one of her one of the targets she was working on sequencing as well. It did not increase her skill. In fact, at the time, so it was really interesting. Okay, so. Um, the sequencing didn't come in there. Okay, so we understand why. We understand what you did. Talk us through the results. The results in the end um, were, um, they demonstrated that uh, she completed um, 30% independent responses and this gradually increased. So we started off around an average of 33 and then um, in the graph it demonstrates there was an increased trend. And then um, then for some reason, various, there's... You know, multiple um, variables which may have um, changed it, but there was a little bit of a decrease in the in the middle. But then you'll see near the end that sh- her responses were um, 100% independent for over three days. So that meant that over three days, she was able to look at her timetable, follow it without adult support, um, besides the, okay, what are we doing next? That was the only um, prompt that was in there, but she was able to look at the timetable follow it and go to the correct location. So the results were, um, were per, they're very positive and it was sustainable. Um, although, like I said, there could have been multiple um, contributing factors to the variability. Um, but in the end, um, nonetheless, it still demonstrates that there was uh, quite effective uh, with the official um, timetable. So I guess over time, what you started to see was like a therapeutic trend towards the 100% on average. So you would have a few dips here or there, but broadly speaking, you're in a space where she was working towards a level of independence that meant that she could follow the schedule. Yeah, you'll see um, there there was three days where she was able to do it um, for three days in a row. And, but then you'll see um, later on that the within the graph, there is quite a lot of variability Um in the in the middle of it but in the in the end you can you can see that there is still from the beginning of 33 percent that there was a there was definitely an increase with the yeah, independent so responses to kind of draw that like a median line there you can really see like the acquisition of fluency over time actually like yes it's variability but then you would consider that to be quite likely for a learner that has had a really long history of prompting yes to then kind of get into that space of I know I actually can do this for myself and not kind of checking in for that reinforcement because I'm sure you, you'll have experienced this and I'm sure Tom you have as well mm-hmm. as those learners that, are, that I guess there's that, you know, the, the dark side of reinforcement, the unwanted effects of reinforcement can sometimes be checking back with the adult that always gave you my token or always yeah. did give me my kind of social feedback at the right times. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, always a variability in who's working with that pupil as well. 
Yeah. Okay, so another question I had actually is the the acquisition part of this in terms of the results, in terms of this data, was this in the, the timetable for the beginning of her day in school? And then if it were just that, at what point did you decide to sort of shift that out into the into community work or um, work experience type environments? We realized actually this was only needed for for school as school was quite it could there's multiple um, events happening throughout the day. So in her work experience, we realized because she was really great with working with routines that during her work experience she didn't need any visual schedules because of that routine. Um, but school, although there are some classes that happen like maths and English, it always happened at a certain time. Those um, and but there are other activities that could vary. She, she needed that support. So we didn't need to um, bring the visual schedule to her um, work experience. It was mainly for her day-to-day activities within the school. So in terms of this kind of stimulus control, and it's like huge transitivity to kind of untrained steps, I suppose, is that that one symbol of work experience was enough for her to know where she was going, when she got there, she knew what she was doing. Yes, Oh, that's huge. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the thing I can think about is where we shifted it to her her um, increasing her um, the exercise and where we brought in a gym visual schedule, uh, which worked wonderfully. So, again, it was another laminated sheet, uh, and there was Velcro on it in the front and the back. So, in the back, there was four types of machines. It was cross trainer, treadmill, the row machine, and the bike. And she would have to pick three and then set her time her timer so would she from the four she'd pick three of them one, there would it would be like one uh, there was three boxes in the front so she'd put the pictures in one in each box and then she would set her timer and then when the timer went off she would take off the first machine put it in the back point to the second machine go to it set her timer timer went off took that second one off the second machine put in the back look at the last picture point to it go to the machine, set the timer, and then after the last one, she'd take it off and she'd say, finished, and then she knew that was the end of the machine. So, so you've also built in choice right at the beginning of all that then. Absolutely. And that was important with her, is that is to, for her to take ownership of her day. And, you know, um, we're all about the, the pupil's voice and about them being able to make choices. So sometimes and, and we like feel anyone like... Else, you know, the cross trainer, sometimes we feel like the row machine, but sometimes we don't. And that's why it's important that she just chooses which one she wants, just like we do. And I know that's a big thing for you, Tom, isn't it, people voice? Absolutely, yeah. So having that choice of independence is, is hugely empowering for our learners, definitely. So it's a lovely example. And we, I personally work with a lot of uh, children, particularly in more mainstream environments, where people are really scared to give children choice because they kind of feel like maybe that's all they'll choose so they kind of take this idea of reinforcement and run with it mm-hmm. and just think well if they if it gets strengthened by making choice what if they choose not to work what if what if what if and it's mm-hmm. like hang on just think about you know the principles behavior think about what's reinforcing think you know go back to your data like if, if people really are stressing about the inference of where a child or, or a more kind of I mean this young lady was much older than kind of child, almost adult but if you consider how will you ever know how somebody will respond to this idea of autonomy or choice, you know, conceptually, and all the reinforcers that that brings, mm. um, until you test it, until you kind of actually actively teach that type of thing. And, and, and 
just as, as an aside, like thinking about the power of all of this, this is what's so great. Again, I think I mentioned it in the last one is how there's no sense of ceiling or um, stopping or it, like the con- the conceptualization of taking a learner that is in you know, let's face it, a really quite intensive progression with lots of support, a multidisciplinary team that's consistently having that person at the centre of everything that happens for them. And thinking, you know, who would have conceived this idea, you know, a few years ago or a year ago of somebody who's got a a pretty um, uh, specific profile in terms of learning difficulties or language acquisition or what have you, and said, you know what, I'm going to teach you how to make choices and follow a schedule by yourself and give you independence because you can absolutely do that. So I guess we then start operating in this um, unilateral reinforcing environment where we're helping somebody understand the tools that we're giving them, which, you know, from a teaching point of view, gives you a sense of um, reinforcement because, you know, you do more because you see the results and then obviously for that young person is the most important of, of all of this is somebody who can do an entire patch of work experience based on a single symbol I mean that from a language point of view is just quite astounding okay great okay so we're at that time again within the, within our podcast for for our next keyword so Amy your turn What's your keyword for this podcast? The keyword is bubblegum. Thank you very much. So our second keyword is bubblegum. Okay, so we've now got almost a complete picture. So we've, we've looked at why it was important, um, how it was done, the impact of that in terms of the results for you know, the acquisition of using of a, t- of a visual schedule, I guess now that what remains is to talk about you know the 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 wider reaching impact. There's kind of the so what question. So, f- from your point of view, uh, guys, what what would you say has been the impact for this individual, this young lady? Um, you know, kind of go from there, like thinking about different settings, how it can be further applied, further so further socially significant, and so on. Yeah, so as as we were saying, although she's using it mainly, the the young lady, she was using it mainly at school. I think if we think about all the learners across the school, um, this is quite a versatile, visual schedules are a very versatile tool that we can use. Uh, Again, as we said earlier, uh, they're easy, inexpensive to make, and they're a basic tool which can provide positive results as we've seen in this this case study. what we're thinking really, what we were talking about before is transitioning, uh, going from transitions. We have, I think it could be beneficial, the now and next board, um, but bringing this for this young lady, where could we bring it next? Um, although she's quite routined in one of her work experiences, I think it's something you can easily use more of a tick chart in the future, more of a to-do list. So if she goes into a new environment, a new um, work experience in the future, such as maybe a hair salon or nail salon, what you can do is easily give her, you know, five things, several several things to do. It's on a laminated sheet. She has a whiteboard pen. She can easily give her the picture. She can tick it off when she does it and go on to the next activity. So that it still creates uh, something she can refer back to and it creates that independence still. So I think, uh, although we've not used it yet, it's something that we could potentially think about in the future and just uh, could could be using. And I think it just, just really struck me then as you were talking about 
how you get such a lot of genericism in um, you know education as usual for people that may or may not need visual support. So yes, people with autism or, or you know Temple Grandin's point, you know potentially a visual thinker is okay, but it doesn't mean that you would then just generically apply visual schedules to all people that they're working with or the, you know the autistic aspects of, the, of their kind of makeup and and so um it just struck me how much work went into understanding how this was so applied for this young lady like it made a lot of sense because she had lots of different skills that we needed to find an avenue for and the visual schedule was the thing that i guess was the vehicle for that absolutely and as um human detmer uh, have suggested in their studies is that individuals with autism do have difficulty with independence. This is a, this is clear. And so it's important that we find, um, find them tools that can help them with uh, independent functioning. And therefore it's a quintessential skill to teach uh, them the independence and how to remove our support. So it's not just looking at the uh, individuals um, behavior but also looking at our own behavior and how we can help support them as much as possible in, in by removing our support where and when needed sure and Tom from your point of view like you know what sort of things would you I know you've been you know listening making notes for us like I appreciate from your point of view as a, as a kind of our, our head of therapies you know a very experienced speech and language therapist working across you know other other allied health professionals you know for, you know, what would you add to this in terms of the discussion piece around the uh, utility of visual schedules and how they can enable people to access reinforcement? I think that they are highly valuable. Um, I think there's lots of transition from, you know, having a, a very specific visual schedule that's, you know, breaking down an activity to having then a visual schedule that's breaking down just your day. Um, I think you can transfer some of those sequential skills into things like workstations where actually you don't need the visuals anymore. You are just working through a workstation for, um, from like the teach perspective. Um, so I think there's lots of you know, ways that you can transition this through for sure. Yeah, yeah we were just talking like in, um, earlier on about how these things are done properly. So if you take human teachers, it, it can, it, it's, it's roots uh, uh, to a certain extent behavioural. It kind of mm. takes this idea of a smaller environment created by a workstation and then over time certain criteria are met and then that workstation becomes, you know, a, a broader kind of frame of reference, like literally speaking, like the yeah. frame of reference <clears> is larger. So we don't have this kind of fate accompli of, oh, look, they've got a workstation, a visual schedule and a bunch of trays mm. and that's cool, that's them done, yeah. sorted. What this study or this case study has shown for this young lady is that you can take the concepts of, um, I guess, actually analysing prerequisite skills to create a, a, a schedule that actually takes this huge jump from prompted, uh, you know, prompt, prompt dependency maybe into mm-hmm. now you can do it by yourself. I mean, did you did you find there was an impact for this young lady in terms of her, I guess not particularly a behavioural term, but her well-being, like where, where did she, where was she, where did she get to in terms of this? Absolutely, and I think it's important that we take note of, you know, the age and where they are then and now. Um, we knew that she couldn't read, but we, how can you do that and also make her more independent? So 
we knew she was strong with her visuals. So by taking the visuals, it was really important that um, we helped create tools uh, in that way for her autonomy. And and therefore, she just you could see for for herself. Her IP was very, you know, person-centered, very much so adapted to to her. And you could see that she it, she was very, um, very proud when she was able to do things on her own um, for her well-being. She was she already enjoyed being at school, but this just increased, increased uh, phenomenally for her. So it's, it's, it's almost, you know, we talk about cusp behaviors a lot in behavior analysis. And this is such an amazing example of that where this one component, this one piece of, I guess, um, a, a stimulus, that, I'm getting lost in the words here, but like the stimulus control of the visual schedule, the thing that represented that reinforcement was available, really just pulled together all the things that she could do before, like all the kind of different operant relationships between, you know, stimulus and response and the reinforcement that came with it. And I think the really interesting piece is that the... There's lots of untrained steps within this, in this kind of con- this concept of stimulus equivalence, like this A to C for her. But like, actually, it was it, the concept of it. If that's not too unbehavioral or too non-behavioral a word, the concept of it was, she then, un- the further untrained steps were around, just seeing one symbol that meant a whole period of time and lots of different behaviors based on the different stimulus relationships within that environment. Absolutely. And it also increased, um, you know, social interaction because when she would look at her timetable, there would be, uh, you know, one tab or one activity would say games with friends. So then she would say games with friends. She knew which friend that would be. She'd go over to that friend, invite them to the activity, and it just created a whole whole bunch of... uh, peer relationships at the same time so she invite them to the activity so it was really lovely to see it uh, develop that way yeah, it's so cool to sort of take what we discussed earlier as quite a basic concept something that you would see quite regularly um, and actually recognize that when you kind of really drill down into the kind of the aspects of preference assessment all the way back to the man like we were talking about before and how as you if you've really got something in mind around how you can develop a set of skills I mean basically that's one one uh, structure or one piece of scaffolding for, for that person that has meant that very basic, low-cost, easily accessible piece of kit that anybody can make, she'd probably make by herself by now. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, she was, um, it was it was a part of her, one of her activities to, to do laminating. So she'd print the, the sheets were already printed. She just had to come, cut them out, laminate them. She, she enjoyed that. Making, making her own timetable and taking ownership of it. Amazing. Okay, great. Okay, well, thank you guys for kind of bringing to us this idea around how you can increase independence for people through the use of visual schedules. I know we've got lots of examples of that um, that we can kind of consider. Tom, from a... From a Obviously, you, you, your experience isn't just with the with our schools here in terms of ABA. You've worked within the National Health Service. You've worked within other kind of mm-hmm. uh, local authority-based settings, other independent settings. You've worked from kind of really young children way through to adults. Yeah. <clears throat> what type of impact have you seen, or have you seen a different type of um, application of this that maybe wasn't quite successful because people didn't consider the prerequisites? Or conversely, have you seen it worked really well and, and how did that look and why did it happen? 
I mean, I've seen it across a number of settings, as you say. I've worked in a number of areas with a different range of, of, of young people, and I've seen, um, you know, the teach approach being used, for example, that sort of like sequencing and that way of working for, I think, much younger learners, um, and that's increased their independence in activities. But then I've also seen sort of at a post-19 level learners, you know, taking these schedules and being able to access the community um, and going out and doing those activities on their own. And, and like Amy has said, the social element to that is, is hugely important as well, that they get to schedule in, you know, time with friends, um, going out to actually sort of doing leisure activities. And I think as well, for, for young people to be able to sort of sequence their own leisure time is hugely important as well. Yeah. And I've seen that being very successful, that, you know, where they've come home and they've not necessarily known what they want to do or have not really initiated it, actually having that schedule of, oh, I could do this, I could, you know, watch a video, I could go and go to the cinema, you know, those kind of things are really important. Great. Okay. Right. Well, I think, you know, on that note, I think we could probably just wrap it up by sort of saying, you know, there's no... You can't just give someone a visual schedule and expect it to be as kind of far-reaching as, as this has been for this young lady. I mean, it's not just a case of, hey, here's a visual schedule, or it's a bit like, here's a social story, now you'll be fine. It's like there's so much work that needs to go into all the kind of relationships between the stimulus and what they mean, how those SDs then kind of link into reinforcement and increasing of behaviour, and, and actually as a byproduct, we're starting to see a reduction in prompting for this, this particular young lady. So... You know, I guess the lesson from your case study in terms of its application would be simply if you're going to do these sort of things, do them well. Otherwise, the people aren't going to contact the reinforcers and it means that it's going to be just another extraneous piece of paper that's a really, I mean, you say low cost, but there's still an element of creating these things. But, if, you know, you don't have your data to represent that it's effective, then where does it really take you? Okay. Right, guys, thank you so much again for your kind of really kind of insightful um comments the kind of retelling of this case study on the website you'll be able to see uh, our list of references as we had them before um, I think we'll have our case study on there from uh, so you guys can have a read and see the flow of what you know Amy and her team uh, did and for those of you that are interested in in the CEUs from this um, podcast then obviously make note of your keywords and um, and follow the links on the website Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time to talk about our uh, increasing of independence for our people um, or our young or our learners uh, beyond autism. Mm-hmm.